welcome to another episode of Social Justice Matters, the podcast from Social Justice Ireland. My name is Suzanne Rogers and I'm a research and policy analyst with Social Justice Ireland. As regular listeners will know at this point, we release three different types of podcasts. Our SJI 10-minute lesson series aims to educate and inform listeners on a particular area of policy, giving a brief overview of somewhere in the range of 8 to 15 minutes and hitting on the key points that people need to know. Our seminar series, which provides opportunities to listen back to some of the most important presentations of past events. And our SJI interview series, where we chat to experts on a range of policy areas. This is one of those. This week, we're joined by Bobby McCormack from Development Perspectives to talk about, amongst other things, development education, the Sustainable Development Goals and active citizenship. We hope you enjoy it. Today we have Bobby McCormick from Development Perspectives, who's going to share with us some insights into the work he does. I'm going to quote your mission, and you might be able to expand and explain exactly what it means. So Development Perspectives' mission is to contribute to lessening poverty, inequality and climate change through transformative education and active global citizenship. Now that's, <laughs> there's a lot there, Bobby. Sure. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. There, there is indeed. I mean, for us, th those big issues that we, we mentioned, poverty, inequality and climate change, I mean, they're massive. Mm -hmm. and, and of course, they're massive right across the world. But surprisingly, I think, and that's where the transformative education comes in, I think an awful lot of the responses to those issues, it kind of more or less ignore the root causes of them. It, it, may, it may tip their hat to them the odd time and recognise that they're there. But but oftentimes the root causes of these things, the kind of upstream reasons that these things exist, aren't looked at enough. And, and for us, that's key. So that transformative education piece is really important because that's where we fundamentally believe the changes that we need to see will happen if we look at the root causes. And, and people need to be involved in that. It's not something that like, you know, one or two entities can do on their own. So that's why the active global piece comes in, you know, uh, for, for people to see that they have huge power in contributing to changing these things, that they, they're, they're not free of agency. They have lots of agency. The, the choice becomes, do they, do they choose to use that or not? Yeah, I, I'd read something there the other day where I suppose the point that we're trying to make was exactly that. So you're passing a river, you see somebody in the river flailing, you go in, you help them, you pull them out. You see somebody else in the river flailing, you go in, you help them, you pull them out. And you see somebody passing you along the bank and you're sort of, hey, come here, help me. And they're going, no, 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 I'm going to go on upstream and see why are all these people in the river in the first place? So as you said, it's about going back to the root causes. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. And, and I mean, I, you know, I was reading a report in, in this morning looking at, I suppose, some of the, the problems that are facing Drogheda as a community in terms of gang violence and the like. And again, I was just gobsmacked that how an awful lot of the root causes were just ignored or, you know, not not really kind of examined. Uh, so so that that kind of is is the, the kind of ongoing challenge that we face. And that example that you gave about the river and people in it is a brilliant visual for people to understand. You know, is somebody throwing people into the river? <laughs> you know, is there a kind of a bus crash for the river that people are, are, are falling out of or something? Like, what's the real reason for, for those people being in the river? That's it, yeah. And I mean, if people have, you know, I know you're talking about agency, but if, if as you said, if a young lad somewhere doesn't feel he has a choice or only has two choices instead of six choices, 
then that, as you said, that's the root cause. That is that is why he finds himself maybe caught up in gang violence or or, or something like that. That he he couldn't actually imagine a different path for himself. It was never laid out for him. Yeah, I'm curious as well about the term development education that you use on your website. I understand the two words separately, but what do they mean when you use them together like that? Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one because I, I think sometimes the language that we use in this sector of work, which I'm involved in development education, it, it doesn't lend itself too easily to engaging with lots of people. It's very wordy and that's a problem. So that phrase development education, exactly like you say, it's it's looking at issues like poverty, like inequality, like climate, but also things like gender based violence or you know, like uh, zero, like hunger, you know, in communities. So, so big issues again. So that's the development part. Like how does a community want to go from where it is now, current reality to some kind of version of itself in the future? That's the development part. But development education is much more about, again, that understanding of the root causes of these things and how they're interconnected. But then most importantly, and the part that separates development education from development studies is the action component. So it's not just learning about these issues and like, you know, trying to kind of think about it in an abstract way, but it's actually then involving communities in a real way in trying to come up with solutions that are appropriate for their context. So it's, again, not us trying to transfer onto them and saying, well, we think we know what's best for your community, which, again, is a classic mistake that's often made in development at an international level. Um, but but the effective agencies are, are much better at actually identifying, well, we're going to provide a space and platforms and opportunities for you for you to engage with us. And we're going to talk about these issues. You're going to inform us about the realities on the ground and we're going to co-create solutions to these things. So so development education has an overlap with kind of community work and community development. Um, so so maybe many of your listeners might be more in tune with what community development or community work is. Development education is similar, but it, it looks at the global context as well. So that international part is also looked at. And, and I suppose the thing is that these issues like poverty, like inequality, they're issues in every community, but just to a different extent. You know, like you can go to Buenos Aires or Balbriggan. Now, the, the thing is that the problems faced by those communities will be different. But oftentimes the, the reasons that they have certain issues are quite similar. The dynamics that create inequality are quite similar globally. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Like poverty is experienced differently in different countries. And the, I suppose in Ireland, it's a lot of, you know, being unable to participate in your community that you don't have the resources. We are a wealthy country with a lot of poor people in it. So as you said, it's that inequality aspect of it, that, you know, that there is money there. We are a wealthy country. And yet there are people who are still, still, you know, still kids going to school with maybe no sandwich in their bag or not sure what their dinner is going to be when they go home. I mean, which is outrageous really for for a western wealthy country absolutely i mean it's outrageous anywhere it, it shouldn't yeah. be accepted yeah. you know and but even that idea of around wealth like these notions of wealth like how is wealth created mm. you know at a basic level you know i think there's a kind of a there's a literacy issue around these issues and i don't mean being able to read and write here i mean being able to understand the global aspect of things so so you're right ireland is a hugely wealthy country 
we make choices though with that wealth mm-hmm. and and that understanding oftentimes is missing and sometimes it's again going into kind of stories it's a story politically that we're told and it's a story then that some of us buy into and and so again the development education sphere tries to kind of encourage people to look critically at the stories that we're told, not, not just through our media, but politically or, or through different institutions of the state. And then questioning, should it be like this? Mm-hmm. Should it be that like in Drogheda, we've got one kind of area of housing estates that have huge problems, but right next door, we've got a different set of geographical estates that are very, very wealthy. You know, like how come these two communities live side by side? There's a huge wealth concentration in one area and there's a huge area then that has looking at like poverty and extreme um, deprivation. And and oftentimes then locally, the, the, this kind of like cheek by jowl example of, of people living doesn't really get talked about. It's just as if, well, sure, that's the way it is. You know, this group is wealthy and that group isn't. And, and that kind of like... Uh, passive acceptance of it for us is just not good enough we need to understand why this is the case and then enable people to take action but we need informed action rather than action just for the sake of it so that that goes back to development education it's a case of like encouraging people to take informed action after they understand what's happening I, I've, I've been I've had that Margaret Thatcher quote going around my head for the last two weeks that there is no alternative. I don't know why, but that's exactly it. As you said, that, you know, we, that there are choices that are made along the way. And the way we live now is as a result of decisions that were made in the 70s and 80s. And, and you know, growing up in the 70s and 80s, my life then was influenced, obviously, by decisions that were made you know, at the formation of the free state in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s. So there is always an alternative. And as you said, it's about that kind of critical thinking and understanding, well, where are we? And looking for different viewpoints and sort of moving it forward. A lot of the work you do as well is grounded in the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Can you kind of just expand a little bit on that as well for me, please? Sure. So in 2015, the United Nations and decided upon and agreed with nation states, 193 countries signed up, Ireland was one of them, but Ireland played a role in co-chairing the agreement. So Ireland and Kenya kind of co-created, if you like, or co-chaired the agreement around creating the goals. There's 17 of them and they're supposed to be achieved by 2030. So between 2015 and 2030. So the range in focus on things like poverty and hunger, good health and well-being is one of the goals, gender equality. They look at things like clean water, affordable energy, decent work and things like housing and homelessness appear as well and of course climate action and interestingly enough then things like you know our oceans and our forests so that would be life life on land and life below water so so there's a whole range of of issues and and one of the things that's interesting about the sustainable development goals is that each of the countries that signed up are not just interested in implementing these things in other countries, but they they have responsibility to look at them in their own countries. So that kind of shifts focus as well, which is great from our point of view, because Ireland then needs to take responsibility for those 17 goals in Ireland. and truth be told, we're, we're not doing great on them. So, so what we're trying to do in development perspectives is, first of all, 
to raise people's awareness that the goals exist. So there's a very low public awareness of the goals in Ireland. And that's unusual because when you look at other countries, there's a very high percentage of awareness of the sustainable development goals. Like we're six years in yeah. and I bet you if we were to go across the country now, unfortunately we can't, but if we could <laughs> and we were interviewing people, I think most people would be looking at you going sustainable what? The yeah. development goals. No, no, you know, like they would confuse it with lots of other things. Yeah. Now, of course, you could come across the odd person that would be very attuned to them, which is great. But we know from the Eurobarometer studies that are conducted, Ireland's awareness rate of the goals is really low. And do you think it would make a difference if, I suppose, if, if people on the ground had a greater understanding of it, or does it need to be policy led from the first place? Is it sort of top down or bottom up? I think like a lot of things, when we talk about development, I think it needs to be both. Yeah. Uh, I, I think, you know, it's very important that people understand that within their communities, they play a key role. But I think it's also important to get leadership from a government point of view. And so like we're six years into the goals, and like the fact that we co-chaired the agreement, you would imagine then we would have hit the ground running. Well, it took us three years to come up with an implementation plan. So from 2015 to 2018, we didn't have anything really, or 2017. And then when we did have an implementation plan, it was pitifully poor. And, you know, the, the government department with responsibility for like environment, climate and communications, they're now, you know, a year into having no implementation plan again. Now we know we're doing badly, the awareness rates is really low and the government department with responsibility for it has no implementation plan. I find it shocking, to be honest. Um, yeah, so I just I find it it's a real shame and it's a missed opportunity because Ireland performs so well, like we're on the Security Council at the moment. Uh, we are interested in so many things that are happening across the world. And, and I think in fairness, the Department of Foreign Affairs does a good job in relation to that in other places. But in Ireland, I think the Department of Environment, Climate and, and Communications needs to do a huge amount more uh, that sadly has been missing up till now. I mean, every year Social Justice Ireland will do a progress index where we take the goals and we look at our 15 of our EU peers and rank ourselves according to, you know, so certain criteria. I mean, there's, there's a full book. I'm not even going to go into it, mm. but we came out 11th from the 15. So, as you said, we're not meeting and particularly things like climate, anything related to that now, but we're coming out quite poorly on that. So in terms then, I suppose, of, the, of the, the, the educational work you do around the goals, how does that work? So uh, what we've kind of taken the decision really around is to try to focus on certain groups because we don't have the resources to work with everyone, although we'd love to be able to. So we're, we're looking mostly within the adult and community education space. So we're working with like you know, tutors in, in ETBs, the education training boards, or we're working with further education institutes, or we're working with public participation networks. Mm -hmm. So trying to get them to, to bring attention to the goals and to try to include the goals at a local community level, so in, the, in county development plans. So we, we've had mixed success, success. like in, in some counties, there's real moves to do that. In other counties, there's a lot of resistance truth be told. Um, but for us, we, we feel that it's important at least whatever resources we can offer to raising awareness of the goals, that's, we think, money well spent. Because we, we do think that if you think of like good health and well-being and what's happening at the moment with COVID, mm. investing in public health is, is great for everybody. <laughs> it's a win-win. You know, and like by measuring the SDGs, we see Ireland actually doesn't do well on that. 
you know, it, it doesn't really invest a huge amount in public health. And we saw that in terms of the amount of beds that are available for intensive care. Yeah. So very low amount of beds available for intensive care, very low investment in public health. Along comes a pandemic and Ireland's in big trouble. So I, I would like to see uh, communities understand that in other countries, that's not like that. Mm. That in actually many other countries, they invest in public health. And along came the pandemic and they weren't in such a bad state simply because they had the phys physical infrastructure to deal with it. And so that good health and well-being gold tree is one such example of being able to understand that actually this doesn't have to be like this. Mm. You know, we, we can aspire to more. And we should aspire to more because look at different countries and how they're performing. And, and I think that that goes back to, to, I suppose, an understanding of comparators that actually things are done differently in other countries that we can learn from. And if it's done better, then why not learn from it? And, and oftentimes it's the, the performance around the SDGs is confused with money. It, it's not oftentimes about investment of money it's about a willingness to tackle these issues so as an example reducing inequalities goal 10 Ireland has known for as long as any other country that reducing income inequality is good news for everyone mm. so why don't we look at it I think ideologically we have a block you know we, we have a kind of a resistance point politically we look at other types of equality and that's to be welcomed but we won't look at income inequality it's almost as if geez that's a story that we won't talk about you're right, it's looking at inequalities across the board and access to services across the board and certain rights. I mean, we'll say take the marriage equality. But if you've got nowhere to live, you know, if you can traipse up to the registry office and get married to whoever you want, but then you've actually got nowhere to live with your partner, those rights kind of sound a bit hollow after a while, don't they? So income inequality and wealth inequality, I think probably are, are, are very, very, very key. And, and it's just interesting that like when we talk about, let's say, decision making that's based on evidence, the evidence is abundant. It's there in front of us. And other countries have been cognizant of it and have changed policies because of it. So it becomes then, well, what's the resistance point here? What, why is it that we can't recognize that? And, and goal 11, sustainable cities and communities, looks a lot at housing and homelessness and, and what it is we need to create communities that are sustainable. Um, and so I think that, again, that's in that's in all of our interest to create communities that are sustainable, you know, not just from a transport point of view, but as you rightly say, from a housing or, you know, just from a home point of view, you yeah. know, that yeah. uh, people have the basics. And and again, when you look at some of the basics, Ireland, as you mentioned earlier on, is such a wealthy country, but then clean water and sanitation, Ireland's water performance is shocking, mm. you know, yeah. but then you look at other things around kind of like, yeah, just our, our coasts and, and what we're doing, you know, like there are a lot of question marks. But I suppose that one of the key things as well is that by looking at the sustainable development goals, what we're not trying to do is to paralyze people into, you know, just looking at things and thing, things are bad. Yeah. It's more about empowering people to say things could be better. What can we do individually or collectively then to take steps to make that uh, decision and so so i think what would be great is if if the civil society action that is abundant across the country if that was being met by a political willingness to contribute to the goals as well that would be fantastic just on that point though i mean we had a, a call for a, a training called the sdg advocates nationally mm. and so we only have 26 places available on the call on, on the training each year but this year we had 82 people that had wonderful applications in that are really willing to take action you know locally and regionally and that gives you an idea that there's far more appetite for people to do things but that like 
we can't cater for that desire. So, so I, I think that signifies that like, you know, if only there was a little bit more support for, for those uh, citizens that want to do things, then, you know, they would make transformation happen. And, and I know from since 2015 and 16, those groups of people that have gone through those trainings have done wonderful stuff right across the country. And the, the amount of examples are just inspiring. Is there any chance, would you have anything off the top of your head that you might be able to share with us? Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, you know, there's there's a new SDG hub uh, being set up in Athenrye by um, Patrick Mulvihill and Heather Griffin through a social enterprise called Amicitia. And Amicitia are doing wonderful stuff. You know, they, they have a community kitchen. Now, I, I know at the moment with COVID, things are difficult, but they're very much at the beginning of that wonderful journey. We've got Anna Atkinson in Longford PPN, who's doing a huge amount around sustainability. Uh, Gareth Conlon and Karen Jefferson Monaghan, they've set up a wonderful um, cooperative called Shield Decree looking at regenerative agriculture and um, Maria Dempsey in Cork and Kerry is looking at femicide and, and really trying to address the rates of gender-based violence that we're seeing you know and, and trying to do that on a, on a local and national level so I mean we could go on and like there's a huge amount of people as I say you know Gronio Callahan is doing a, a work with uh, within kind of a law firm in Dublin, looking at you know trying to kind of approach the SDGs from a legal perspective. So there's a huge number of people doing work right across uh, PPNs, you know, corporate sector, local community development. Yeah, so what we really need to do is to shine a light on those wonderful kind of examples and say, look at these people with limited investment. They're doing wonderful work. Imagine if we could just have a little bit more of an interest politically. Imagine the amount of people that would be doing things around the country. The, the, the variety of, of topics that you've just whizzed through there. I mean, that is extraordinary. You know what I mean? And to all come from the same root tools to be able to move forward with no matter what their area is that the same tools they can use and whether as you said whether it's you know gender-based violence or agriculture or um you know sustainable cities that, that the sheer volume of stuff there that you've mentioned is is incredible and i suppose it goes then to it it's about imagining isn't it really it's about creating new narratives it's about these people kind of sort of saying well i this is the vision i want so I know, I know you'd kind of sort of said that that sort of that narrative and that storytelling is a huge part of, of what you do as well. Can you expand on that for me a little bit as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we try to use methods um, when we're working with individuals and groups that are, you know, engaging and effective and storytelling is one of those. So like even just the quote of, of, a, of a wonderful guy called Joseph Campbell, who wrote a book called A Hero with a Thousand Faces. And in it, he talks about the, the power of stories. And he was saying that like the, the power of a story lies not in whether or not it's true, it's whether or not it's believed. Now, if we just take for a second... Um, I suppose a lot of the misinformation and fake news that is becoming a problem with, with, you know, across social media platforms and the like, then what we do with storytelling becomes an interesting way of trying to tackle misinformation and fake news because we begin by trying to kind of explain to people that actually the power of stories lies in the belief beneath it, not in the evidence that backs it up. And too often we're told stories that are fictional, but we believe them. And we, we need to be far more critical as communities and as a society of the stories we're told. Lots of vested interest groups tell us stories, 
but they're based on fiction, but they're based on a fiction from their perspective that's in their interest for us to believe. And that can be coming from all sorts of sectors. Uh, so we need to have people thinking critically, think, where's this information coming from? Where's the source for this? You know, can you provide the evidence to that? So that's crucially important. But, but then what becomes even more interesting, I think, is that we don't need to rely on the media or on politicians to be the storytellers. We are storytellers. What, what is the future that we want to see? And then what stories can we begin to shape in order to influence people to, to co-create that future? So that if, if, say, for instance, too often we see storytellers, say, for instance, as, as men, and that, of course, needs to change. We need to have far more women telling stories that are inspiring about women. And that's great. And, and like we need then again, more stories from men calling out things like, again, violence. Uh, we need new storytellers telling stories that are important and haven't been told before. Um, and so what's great about the online media flipping it on its head mm -hmm. is that we now in the, in the digital era of storytelling are enabled to do that. We can share our Instagram stories. We can, you know, talk to friends on Facebook. We can use Twitter. We can use blogs. We can use podcasts. There is so many ways now that people are becoming kind of like democratized into creating their own stories. So we're encouraging people and organizations to really look at the stories that they want to share and, and be inspiring, you know, to really kind of shine lights on things that are positive rather than on things that are bad. And mm. um, because that's not that inspiring, there's too much of that already. So, so I think the storytelling approach has got huge potential. And, and let's face it, we all love a good story, yeah. whether it's a novel or a movie or, or a song or a poem, you know, all of us, well, at least most of us, I mean, Netflix has got me through this, this <laughs> pandemic. But a lot of that really chimes as well with the with Social Justice Ireland's vision, which is, you know, evidence based research and that you look to see where are you, where do you want to be, how do you move between those two points? And I think imagination does play such a huge part of it. I mean, even if you look at, say, uh, family homelessness at the moment, that would have been unimaginable at one point. It's now normal. So you've got a vision to say, well, we need to imagine better. We need to now imagine that there is no homelessness in Ireland and it can be done. As you said, when you look at other countries, you look at Finland is always held up as the exemplar of, of sort of homelessness um, eradication. So, yeah, I think a lot of it is it's about imagining and you can't imagine without a story. You have to tell Absolutely. a story. And, and I think for too long, the story about a certain level of homelessness being acceptable is kind of a story that's kind of like become the norm. It, that, that story needs to be challenged. How do we do that? A new story. Yeah. A new story of saying that this is not good enough. This is just not good enough. So we're going to draw attention to it through arts, through music, through storytelling to show how perverse it is, actually, that we've got loads of buildings around the country that are empty or, or like, or, or, you know, to go back to the point of, of evidence based decision making, like there is the potential for Ireland to do things hugely differently. But is there the, the kind of appetite for that change? Well, I think part of the way we need to tackle it is by offering alternative stories and and uh, that needs to be done and and just to get to say i suppose m many years ago i think it was um kind of a a, a different 
point that was put forward, it was around, you mentioned Margie Thatcher around, like there was no alternative. There was this view that it needed to be Boston or Berlin in terms yes. of our policy making. Yeah. Well, that kind of goes back to the idea that actually in Ireland, we've got a, a strange idea of what development is. We, we think it's only the way that the US and the UK does development. Maybe it's because of our English speaking kind of tendencies or maybe it's political influence, but actually those two are outliers in terms of the recipe for development. It is not the same as other EU countries. Why is Ireland following these stories? Why is Ireland bought hook, line and sinker into the idea that economic growth from a US model or UK model is the way to go? And that's where we're going to put our kind of like um, bets, if you like, because actually most countries in the EU have a completely different story of development. And so, again, to go back to Campbell's point, the, the point is not whether or not it's evidence-based, it's whether or not there's a belief behind it. And for too long, we had like, yeah, that private property is the way to go, that that needs to be enshrined in legislation. And then we're told if we challenge these kind of sacred policies and legislation, it's like, oh, no, we can't do that. God, we can't question private property in Ireland. What, why not? Because it's questioned everywhere else. It's really a case of, are we prepared to look at these things differently? Are we prepared to tackle them differently? And if not, then nothing, you know, nothing changes if nothing changes, I suppose. That's, that's, the, that's the hard bit. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I remember I was struck when I was in Finland uh, a number of years back and we were at this beautiful location for a conference and it was, you know, we, we went for a walk and we were going through people's properties. You know, I was looking at it thinking, like, will we be you know, uh, shouted at or scared away. And of course, the right to roam is there in Finland. That's so like people have the understanding that, yeah, it is your property, but that you can't necessarily build a fence around it and get people to stay away from it, that there needs to be an understanding that it's not yours alone. And I think that even that kind of lends itself to things like, you know, during COVID, there's a huge amount of waste going on in terms of littering you know like I, I live not too far from from Drogheda in uh, in Mosley County Neath and and like there's a huge amount of littering going on and I think part of that stems from this idea that we take let's say waste from our own houses some of us of course it's a minority I know and we just dump it somewhere else because it's almost as if it's the view well sure this isn't ours so why should I care mm. And, and personally, I think that that's, again, this idea that we look after our own. We build fences metaphorically. We build boundaries metaphorically. We, we look after our own garden, but to hell with everyone else's. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that that kind of understanding or lack thereof in other countries is really interesting um, in comparison to Ireland, because I think there isn't as much a problem with littering in many other countries. And why is that? So, again, it goes back to that root cause end of things that like, you know, the stories that were told from a young age around things like what belongs to you and what belongs to someone else, yeah. you know, and, and this idea as well of like investment in things that are shared. So like we're much more inclined in Ireland to talk about our own private motor car mm -hmm. rather than the public bus. <laughs> oh, and why is that? Because it's again different to lots of other countries. So I think it reflects deeply on, on our collective identities. And the only way that you can change that really, as you said, is, is to sort of change the story. This is a big question, but like, what do you think we can do better? What policies would you like to see put in place that might impact those things? Well, I think, it, you know, in terms of the sustainable development goals, is something that's very low hanging fruit uh, that the department could do. And that's an implementation 
implementation plan for Ireland, a new three to five year implementation plan and catch up on, on, on I suppose, the, the pattern that's there already, which is that we're falling in comparison to our, our friends across Europe. I think we need to, to change that. In terms of, of the stories and the root causes end of things, there's an interesting opportunity that uh, presents itself with the new Education for Sustainable Development policy that the Department of Education are leading out on. And again, I think that one of the things in there that we need to look at is involving adults and community education in that. Too often when we talk about education responses to things, we talk about in primary schools and secondary schools within institutional boundaries. I think the Department of Education needs to be much more imaginative and involve you know, adult and community education much more through the ETBs and SOLAS and really see adults and adult learning and lifelong learning as a key part of our country's futures that it's it's i think it's i think it's a uh, it's too easy to say that children are the future and young people are the future and so we'll invest there and they'll shape things that lets adults off the hook completely mm-hmm. and and it's it also denigrates adults because well it's their future too right so like I, but i think it's a better responsibility shift that actually many adults don't want to look at themselves in the mirror in terms of their own behaviors their own knowledge their own understanding so we'll shift it to what young people should do so i think that the department of education needs to include adult and community education in the new uh, policy for education for sustainable development in a meaningful way and invest in it and yeah I think that that would be great and and I would propose that the likes of storytelling could be one such way of doing it because I I think it would have a double whammy it would first of all assist us all uh, in communities right across the country in understanding what's happening around not just sustainable development goals but also around things like misinformation and fake news and you know being again digitally literate around these issues because there's, there's too much influence that could be negative mm-hmm. um, around things like racism and anti-migrant uh, sentiment as well that we need to be conscious and careful of. And we would be huge advocates of lifelong learning and, and for targets to be set and met for yeah. more people to be to be engaged in that process. And I think the lifelong dimension is to be welcomed and hopefully there'll be more of it. And the life-wide is part is, is really key. Because again, I don't think that like universities and it should be the gate holders, you know, to gatekeepers, apologies to, to like this idea that that's where learning happens. Like learning is as likely to happen outside of the walls of a formal education institute. So I do think that the non-formal spaces like, you know, community development projects, family resource centers, and there's many of them right across the country have done wonderful work with engaging many uh, groups of people that would be somewhat marginalized maybe from from their own experiences of formal education because again it goes back to that again story of what is formal education how it caters for a certain number of people brilliantly and then also doesn't cater for another group of people at all well and so again it's it's questioning some of that so yeah that, that life wide and long learning I, I really think that the department of education could look at and could offer huge potential um you know for for you know communities right across the country at, literally at no cost which which again is amazing like just as an interesting example i was reading yesterday a a piece of policy around uh, the french public health system and they were and because of course i know that the irish cancer society is doing an an awful lot of work at the moment because their their daffodil days has been cancelled again because of covid i was looking at a really interesting piece of research around cancer and collective sport so people who've gone through cancer one of the best things that they can do is to take part in collective sport events so not 
necessarily just the health benefits that could be accrued by going to the gym or a run or a cycle on your own, but actually doing something with others is hugely beneficial to your long-term outcomes. Mm -hmm. And so like playing indoor football, you know, going for a walk with a few people, going for a cycle with a few people rather than your own, that's, that's zero cost. But like, I, I have yet to see any kind of health promotion, kind of like information coming out from anywhere that I know of, that could be my blind spot potentially in Ireland saying that actually the collective part of sport has got a huge health dividend and that that benefits everybody. Now that's something that we don't need to spend an awful lot of money on in order to get that message across. Thank you very much, Bobby. I think we've I've probably exhausted all my questions here. Is there anything that you would kind of want to leave us with? Well, just to encourage people that if they are listening, uh, you know, and they'd like to get involved in the work of developing perspectives to check us out on our website. We've got lots of, uh, I suppose, different platforms that we use right across social media. So Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We've got a blog that we would be, you know, absolutely love to hear from people that would listen in if they'd like to contribute to the blog and write an article about their own work. And so, yeah, we'd love to just work with others. And, uh, you know, our theory of change is based on more people getting involved with us and then raising awareness locally of these things. So if there are people that would be interested in, I suppose, extending their own boundaries around what it is to be an active global citizen, we'd love to hear from them. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope you found it useful. If you have any ideas for future podcasts, please feel free to email us at secretary at socialjustice.ie with your suggestions. Until next time, stay safe.